0: Welcome back for our final session of the day, a fireside chat with Professor Oswald de Morderen from New York University's Stern School of Business. Often referred to as the Dean of Valuation, Professor de Morderen is an expert on corporate finance, valuation, and investment management. And for our purposes today, he is a noted and vocal skeptic when it comes to ESG. I'm honored that we have the chance to chat with him today. Remember, we'll be taking audience questions as well. For our online audience, please use the hashtag CatoEcon on social media or submit questions on our website. Our time is short with him, so I just wanna jump right into it. Let's start with what should be an easy question, but for those of you who have been here all day today, you know we've been wrestling with it all day. What exactly is ESG?
1: I wish I could answer that question because I've been wrestling with that same question. And I'll be quite honest, I don't see why the onus should be on people who oppose ESG to define it, the people who are pushing it on the rest of us can't define it themselves. I have never seen as mushy a concept as ESG. I mean, it's basically whatever you want it to be. And even among the services that claim to measure it, there is no agreement on what they're measuring. Forget about the, the, the details of Are they measuring goodness? Are they measuring risk? And I find it astonishing that we're spending tens of billions of dollars on a concept that the people who are pushing on us can't even get to define correctly among themselves.
0: So when instead that you're a skeptic, you've just mentioned a number of different concepts in there, are there particular areas that you're more skeptical of, or is it the entire umbrella term
1: itself? I think the whole thing is garbage, to be quite honest. And I don't I don't want, to, I'm not going to try to be diplomatic. You know, it's almost, it's very difficult to create a concept that's empty at its source and toxic at the same time. But ESG people have managed to pull off that trick. I mean, this is a concept that's empty of substance and has managed to create toxic effects everywhere it's introduced. And, um, you know, if I had my brothers, I would, you know, I this is a. This is exactly the kind of concept you want to bury and make go away, because this is not. Nothing good can come from this. Not a, Not. Not an iota of goodness can come out of this.
0: So let's talk a bit. You mentioned that there's toxic effects from ESG. Mm-hmm. Um, can you describe a little bit what those effects are and where we are seeing them or will
1: see them? You know, let's go back to, let's go back and revisit how we got to where we are. This is a concept that was born in sanctimony, nurtured with hypocrisy, and sold with sophistry all the way through. <laughs> so you know, and, and and let's think about why it's creating toxic effects. Let's take the S in ESG. The nature of social causes is that you can't centralize them. I mean, we're a country divided down the middle in pretty much every single dimension. What gives S&P or Sustain analytics or whichever other services out there measuring ESG, this godlike power to be able to decide what's good or bad in a social dimension? No wonder we're in the middle of a political, and I don't even know what to call it, you know, political fight where ESG is at the center. And while ESG advocates wring their hands and say, oh my God, we never wanted it to become political. That's like pyromaniacs complaining about fires going on all over. I mean, who brought this to the table? And why are you surprised that there's a social backlash? So I think that the very way this concept was structured, which is basically people becoming, I do virtue police, deciding what they're going to define goodness at a centralized stage set us up for exactly where we are today, which is we've brought politics into the game and nothing that politics touches ever comes out unscathed. And welcome to the new reality that businesses are going to face because of ESG.
0: So our last panel talked a lot about asset management. And one of the things that we heard from the asset managers or their representatives here was that ESG, besides being the potential to look for a good is actually just a function of risk management or a way to better value companies. Um, Obviously this is right up your alley. So what what do you think about that concept as ESG?
1: Were they able to say say this with straight faces? I mean, how do you say this? How can you argue that a constrained optimal is better than an unconstrained optimal? I mean, one of the problems I think with ESG is we'd have all been better served if there'd been honesty from the beginning. What does that mean? If you told people, look, you want to bring goodness into your investing universe, you want to screen out bad companies, and then told them the truth, that if you do this, you have to accept the fact that you have to give up something, we'd be in a much better place than we are today. For 14 years, people have been sold a bill of goods. They've been told, you can be good and earn higher returns. I mean, that's why I've described ESG as all cake, no calories. You've gone around telling people that they can essentially bring virtue into their investment decisions, which I think is good. We need to invest with our consciences, but we also need to accept the fact that there has to be a sacrifice, something you give up. So the very fact that, but the problem here is if you're a fund manager, you're trapped. You have a fiduciary responsibility, which means that if you admit the truth, which is that being good will cost your investors, you've just violated your fiduciary responsibility. So unless we have some honesty in this process of saying, look, you're gonna remove some companies from your universe, you can't invest in them because they're bad companies, then I think we also need to tell people, this is what it will cost you, 30 basis points, and we will do our best to minimize your cost. but don't tell them they're gonna make a higher return.
0: And I'm gonna press on that a little bit more um, because it it is at odds with what we hear from some asset managers who are pushing ESG integration funds where they say, "I'm I'm not looking for good. I'm just looking to make sure that my valuation and my risk management is taking into account potential effects from climate change or from other environmental factors. I've heard asset managers say, look, if I'm, if I'm valuing GM, I want to know what their electric car strategy is. And that's an E factor. What's wrong with that?
1: I can tell all kinds of stories, right? The reality is, show me, show me the data. Show me the companies you avoided because they had a low ESG score where you avoided mistakes. Every time I see a mistake, whether it's FTX or whether I look at companies going back in time, guess what I see as a common factor? These companies were virtue lords before they went bankrupt. I mean, they were actually put high on pedestals because I think founders have realized that framing their companies with virtue allows them to get away with all kinds of stuff behind the curtain. So when people say, well, this is a risk management device, stop just telling me stories. Show me the facts. Show me the evidence that by avoiding companies with low ESG, you avoided mistakes, and by staying with the companies with high ESG scores, somehow you had fewer accidents happen to you. I haven't seen a single paper back that up. It's after the fact you say, well, if only, we'd know. I mean, did ESG keep us out of companies who were exposed to Russia? Do you know that companies were more exposed to Russia actually at higher ESG scores prior to the invasion of Ukraine? than companies that did not have exposure. It seems to me that ESC keeps chasing the last catastrophe saying, now we're going to fix it. Now we're going to bring in Russia exposure. It's too late. The mistake's been made. And I think that's part of the problem is if if you really don't know what you're measuring and you don't have a clear concept of what risks you're trying to avoid, then it becomes very difficult for me to buy into your story that by Investing based on ESG is somehow avoiding some of those risks.
0: And for those keeping track at home, that is the third mention of crypto in an ESG conference. Um, Just an ongoing theme today. But I wanna talk a little bit more about kind of that research and data. Um, In other contexts, you've kind of referred to the research in this space as abysmal. And as someone who does do, uh, not research myself, but reading a lot of the research in this space, I can say that there's plenty of research out there that comes to some conclusion that seems facially supportive of ESG. Whether it's a more diverse board gives you better outcomes or whether it's uh, managing climate risk better gives you a higher valuation. Of course there is research on the other side as well. Uh, For those of us looking, what can you trust in this space, or is all of it difficult to say it's worthwhile?
1: I'm gonna take a very cynical perspective on this. It comes naturally to me, so it comes, you know, it's it. let's suppose you wanted to create a buzzword you could sell for a price that people shouldn't pay. Here's what I here's what, I gave a five-step process for creating the next great buzzword. For those of you who feel that ESG is not working, you can I said first give it a holy name, a name that people will not attack, you know, know, ESG, impact investing, sustainability, something that sounds like something you don't want to disagree with. You're creating this concept, reverse engineer the concept by looking at winners over the last decade and put into the concept all of the features that those winners had. And then market that concept by then showing studies that using this concept to delivered higher returns. You reverse engineered the concepts to include exactly the variables that gave successes. It wasn't like we had ESG in 2009 and we invested based on ESG. Every study of ESG goes back retroactively and acts like you had ESG scores over time and say, hey, look at the last decade, look at how much money we'd have made investing in company with the highest ESG scores. That's duplicitous. If you want to show me that ESG works, here's what you need to show. Show me that companies whose ESG scores go up, have higher profitability next year. Don't look back and you know, show me the correlation in ESG scores and value backward. I mean, it, it shows me absolutely nothing. So I think that the problem here is not that these are not smart people doing research. It's that they're advocates doing research. You cannot do research if you've already decided that ESG is so good that you can't really challenge it. And 90% of this research, you can see the biases shine through in almost every step in which the, the way the research is structured. So when I say it's abysmal, it's too many advocates and too few researchers in this area, true believers. Are asking the question. Guess what? When true believers ask the question, they get exactly the answer they expected to get.
0: So, despite all of this, we've seen regulatory pushes from the SEC um, in particular, although other regulators are potentially following suit in their own way. But the SEC to require additional disclosure of both public companies and of funds to facilitate ESG investing. Um, I think I know what your answer is to this, but is that the right course? And should the SEC be doing anything in this space?
1: Now, I've always critiqued what I call disclosure diarrhea, and we've had disclosure diarrhea now for 20 years. And it comes from this premise that more is always better than less. More information, more data is better than less. So you look at the typical prospectus for an IPO now, I know Apple and Microsoft had 60 to 80 page prospectuses. Airbnb's prospectus was 350 pages long. I was saying, this is good, we have more information, do we? There was a 50 page risk profile section in one, one prospectus that I read and not a single page was useful from a valuation perspective. I'll make a prediction. The SEC or other regulatory authorities are going to succeed. This train, once it leaves the station, is too many people making money on it to stop. We'll have 500 pages disclosing ESG stuff in future 10Ks. And I'll also make a prediction that none of us will read a single one of those 500 pages. It is, I mean, it's one of those, you know, ironic outputs of having too much disclosure people just ignore everything because when you're overwhelmed, that's exactly what you do. So if I were advising the SEC, I would say less is more. So if you want disclosure on um, carbon footprint, find three or four metrics that people believe tell you the most about that. Restrict yourself to those three or four. Don't fall into the trap of saying, let's add these 97 more. What's the harm? And try to make it focused. I don't want to, to read about Facebook's carbon footprint. I want to read about Facebook's privacy issues. The kinds of things we need disclosure are in different, different companies. And if the one size fits all, where everybody reports everything, is, I think, a recipe for disaster.
0: So is that a simple tie to companies should disclose material information and not be concerned with disclosing immaterial information?
1: Just, which has always been the standard, but the definition of materiality is such that if you let the lawyers into the room, everything becomes material, right? And that's the problem, is the legally safe thing to do is disclose everything, even things that don't matter, because nobody's going to ever sue you for reporting immaterial stuff. But you're going to get sued if there's something that happens after the facts, That that should have been reported. So the nature of disclosure is, while you might put that restriction of report-only material stuff, it's a legal process, and sooner or later, everything's going to get dumped out there.
0: So I don't want to have all the fun here, Um, and I'm going to, because we have a pretty short period of time, I'm going to open us up to questions from the audience um, early, and I'm going to reserve the moderator's privilege for the last question here. Um, So, are there any questions in the room um, to ask for Professor DeModeran? Let's, actually, let's head over here. Someone hasn't had a chance to ask a question before.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, Regarding the ESG investment, I think that performance is the most important. But ESG investment, uh, some research papers said uh, ESG is high return and but low risk because ESG is dealing with the stakeholders. But this is a kind of puzzle, I think, usually in the financial theory high risk, high return, but low risk, low return. But ESG investment, some paper said, high return, low risk. That's it's a Bernie made It's a puzzle. This. So what do you think every about this? Returns, no risk. It's the heart of every scam, right? <laughs> and I think that is exactly why I'm so skeptical about ESG. Stop lying. Stop lying. If you want to tell me it's going to be low risk, at least do me the honor of saying, hey, you know what? It's low risk and lower return in the long term. Be okay with that. The selling of all ESG related stuff is it's all good for everybody. Now I'll give you a classic example. I've heard ESG advocates go into companies and tell them that if they are good, they have high ESG scores, they will have lower cost of equity and lower cost of capital. And I can tell a story about how that can happen. But if that is true, then investors in those companies will actually have to earn lower returns because that's where the lower cost of equity comes from. So if you're going to tell one story to a company and then tell a very different opposite story to investors, you are lying. And and at the heart of ESG is this big lie of, and it's driven by money. I, I hate to say this, the old legal test comes in, Who's making money? And there's an entire ecosystem, an ESG, that's making money. And you know who's not in that ecosystem? Shareholders of companies, investors in companies, the stakeholders in companies, the people making money are the measurement services, the investment funds pushing ESG, the consultants on ESG, the disclosure people who essentially push it. There's a lot of people making money on this. And that gravy train will continue until somebody stops it.
0: More questions? Let's come up front here. Hi, I'm Mihaela Ullieru from the Impact Institute. Um, I do not know if, um, how many here are aware about, and of course the term ESG, (coughs) coined uh, by Kofi Annan, uh, that uh, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals are regarded, and you can Google that, ESGs and SDGs, as a means to define and shape ESG outcomes and uh, solutions. And there are many others looking at SDGs uh, and ESGs, different mappings between each other and how they can be better for the world. What is your opinion about that?
1: (laughs) That That was the basis for my statement, born in sanctimony. Have you ever read a UN document? It's a monument to sanctimonious talk, right? It's, you know, lords on top of the mountain telling the rest of us unwashed masses about, you know, this is at the heart of every single, you know, backlash we've had in the last 15 years. Born in sanctimony, But even if you buy into every single piece of the UN document, you know who that document should be directed at? Governments, regulators, lawmakers. With ESG, here's what we've done. We've outsourced what governments and lawmakers and regulators should be doing to publicly traded companies. That is at the source of the problem. You cannot have CEOs of companies being the arbiters of what's good for society. I mean, I like Jamie Dimon, but as a JP Morgan shareholder, I don't want Jamie Dimon deciding what's good, what's bad, and making judgments based on that for me. I don't like Larry Fink, I never have, but I definitely don't want him deciding what's good for society and then directing 11 trillion dollars of other people's money into his definitions of goodness and badness. We have actually turned over whatever good objectives we've had in that UN document over to companies to accomplish for us. And that's one reason why I think none of the good things that ESG promises will actually actually come to fruition, whether it's climate change or whether it's better social outcomes. We're going to sound good, but we're not going to do good. Okay.
0: Other audience questions? Um, let's come up front, Prasad, can you come up here?
1: Thanks. Uh, maybe this is off topic, but I'm struck by the similarity between ESG and DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's a, it's a term that's snowballed. Uh, it's uh, not that well-defined. For example, does diversity mean race? Does it mean religion? Does it mean political viewpoint? Uh, it, it can mean uh, it can mean a lot of things. Equity, I mean, that's, everybody has a different opinion about what equity is. So I'm asking if you, if you see a similarity. Have you, have you looked at the similarity? or? Uh... I'll, I'll tell you what they share in common, right, which is uh, if you think about the origins of ESG, right now I think services have fallen back. It's really a measure of risk. That's not what they've always said. If you go back three or four years, the services were talking about ESG as a measure of goodness. Goodness, and one of the arguments people make against ESC is it's subjective, it, it ESC can be measured, but it's a personal judgment. Goodness is personal. And what we're trying to do is take something that each of us individually should be making and centralizing it in a measurement service. That's not gonna work, whether it's diversity equity and you know, or whatever else you want to bring in or ESC. Trying to centralize and say, we're going to come up with a definition that everybody has to buy into. I guarantee you, you're not going to get a definition that works because you're trying to centralize something that cannot be centralized. My, My definition of goodness and your definition of goodness, my definition of diversity and your definition of diversity will be different because we come from different backgrounds, different cultures, we have different histories and I think that's the reality we face. We've tried to take something that should be at the individual level, and we've tried to create a centralized entity to do it, and nothing good can come out of that.
0: Other questions? Okay. Kevin? Okay. Oh, uh, you're going to need to wait for the mic. <laughs> Sorry. Okay.
1: Uh, just a quick question: Do you believe, up to this point, that ESG has had an effect on our economy? And if so, what effect? Well, you ran short of gas this 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 winter. Maybe you should send a letter to the ESG advocates and can you pay? Can you send some heat to me? Um, I'll give you a generic number that should show you how ineffective ESG has been in changing world outcomes. Ten years ago we got about 81, I think 82% of our energy came from fossil fuels and 18% from non-fossil fuels. 10 years later, after trillions of dollars of ESG spending, I don't know how many billions spent on ESG consultants, guess what percentage of our energy we still get from fossil fuels? About 82% still. So where are all these great wins that ESG has supposedly been bringing us on climate change? I wonder whether there's somebody from Engine One in the audience. I'd love to put them on the spot. Engine One, as you well know, is the activist fund that managed to stop Exxon Mobil from investing more in fossil fuels. Amazing victory. Until you think about where did all those fossil fuel reserves go? You know where they went? Over the last decade, more than a trillion dollars have been invested by private equity investors in fossil fuel reserves. Here's what ESG advocates have done. They've taken stuff and pushed it behind the curtain where you can't see it. It's still happening. It's not changing the way we behave. So I think that is part of the reason I think ESG is so damaging. If you truly believe that climate change is the biggest challenge we face, you truly believe we need to be less reliant and forceful, for God's sakes, get rid of ESG. It's actually getting in the way of the changes we need to make to accomplish your objectives. So I think in a sense, I look at what ESG, and, that, and that's why I said, I have nothing good to say about this concept because almost every outcome I see, I look at it and say, that's not good. So if ESG went out, started off with the objective of making the world a better place, it's made people sound like they're making the world a better place, but it's not made the world a better place.
0: Another audience question? Actually, way in the back. Hi, I just have a quick comment. I just want to say how refreshing it is to um, hear a professor, and no doubt an NYU professor, um, say that this whole ESG um, concept is rubbish. So bravo to you, and I hope that you get, get together with your colleagues and can you know, really spread this movement across the country like they're doing with ESG right now.
1: Thank you. I, I, I'm lucky enough to not care anymore what people think about me, and that, that gave me an advantage in this area, because I think, and th- I, I think you brought up a very good point. The reason ESG got to be so big with to- so little challenge is for a long time, people who critiqued ESG were viewed as bad people, which is, how dare you critique something that's for the betterment of the world? And I still hear people say, well, does this mean you are against virtue? I'm not a satanic follower. I'm not arguing that people do bad things. I'm just saying each of us has to make our choices on goodness. I don't want sustained analytics telling me what's good or bad. So I'm arguing for reclaiming that that, that power of saying, I will make decisions to make the world a better place. S&P can't make it for me.
0: i actually like to key off of that a little bit from the professor of business angle. Earlier today on a panel, Professor Siri Tergesen from Florida Atlantic University talked about how business school students now are kind of being pushed to running to ESG type professions. Accounting, um, changing the way that um, business, corporate governance is viewed. Um, I'm curious to know if that is something you see with your own students, and if you think that that's an issue going
1: forward. No, I think the need to do good lies, runs deep in all of us, right? You know, this is not something new, this is not something that 2008 created. Here's the difference, 50 years ago, if you wanted to do good, you know what you did? You went and worked for the Peace Corps, and guess how much you got paid? 20,000 a year if you were lucky, 15,000, maybe 10,000. Here's the problem. I have 25 or 30 year olds who come to me and say, well, I want to do good, but here's what they want to do. They want to be paid like bankers and work in the Peace Corps. And this is what I mean about, hey, if you want to do good, accept the fact that through history in humanity to be good, you needed to give up something. That is what ESC has missed. It's missed the fact that if you do, do good, there has to be something you give up. As a company, it might be earnings. As an investor, it might be returns. As an individual, it might be choices. But by selling people this package of you can be in an ESC and get paid $300,000 a year, of course people want to do both, right? Because this is like the best of all outcomes. So I think as long as you keep, people, keep telling people lies, of course they will want to do it. But once I would, I mean, a subset of them, I'd still say I want to work in ESG even if I get paid 15,000 or 20,000 a year. But until we start telling the truth, we're not getting a good indication of what people are really picking. Are they picking ESG because it's good? or Are they picking ESG because they've been told you can make higher returns? That's going to be the test over the next year or two or three for these ESG funds is now that the worm is turned in terms of returns and not delivering, because they're so focused on tech companies, they're not delivering returns, will those people who bought the funds still stay with them or leave? And my guess is most of them are going to leave because they were sold a bill of goods at the start when they were sold these funds.
0: Now I'm gonna do one final question as our time's almost running out. Um, The conference title today was The Rise of ESG and the Future of Financial Regulation. So as the last question for the panel, or for the entire day, Um, I'm gonna ask you the ultimate question, which is will ESG leave a lasting mark on financial regulation, and should it?
1: You know what, I think that the market will leave is the mark that all scams do, which is you, you know, but I, the nature of ESG is going to be get replaced by another buzzword. I already see people who used to use the word ESG have gone back to CSR, which used to be the precursor to ESG. But you're going to see words like sustainability. Another word that if used right can actually mean good things, but if used broadly can capture pretty much everything. So a lot of professors who have ESG in their title are going to replace with sustainability and they're going to go back to doing the same things they did, but now they're going to cover it with this, hey, let's call it sustainability. Our search for buzzwords that allow us to keep doing this is endless. So my cynical side says you might see the word ESG disappear, but you're going to see something else take its place.
0: And on that note, thank you very much for your time today, Professor. Thank you. If you are not a regular reader of his Musings on Markets blog, you should be. Um, He provides accessible insights into finance that even a lawyer like me can appreciate. Um, So I I recommend his Musings on Markets to everyone. And thank you all for attending the conference today. Um, I think we've had a lot of thoughtful discussions um, across a, a wide range of issues in the ESG space. Uh, Recordings from today's event will be available shortly on Cato's website if you missed anything or if you'd like to revisit it uh, or if you'd like to share with friends. Uh, We hope you'll continue the conversation and follow the work of the scholars here at Cato's Center for Monetary and Financial Alternatives. And just to say for those of you who are with us in person today, please join us for a reception in Cato's Winter Garden, which is downstairs. Uh, Have a great afternoon all, thank you.